0: Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation podcast network.
1: It is a major issue for consumers. Everyday patients, to any fault of their own, are not able to afford their medicines. And it does cause some complications down the road if they're not taking their medicines because of this outrageous
0: out-of-pocket cost that they have to pay. Welcome to Healthcare Matters a podcast that pulls back the curtain to help you make sense of complex healthcare economics and policy issues. As always, I'm joined today by my partner in crime, Dr. Robert Popovian, joining us from Washington, D.C. He's a pharmacist, economist, and chief science policy officer at the Global Healthy Living Foundation.
1: And across the country in Seattle, Washington, he's my good friend, Connor Mertens, patient advocate and community outreach manager at the Global Healthy
0: Living Foundation. And our goal is to help simplify the complexities in healthcare economics and policy issues for you, the listener. So Robert, as we start this new series, it's always exciting to read the listener feedback in the comments. You ready for one? Absolutely, let's do it. First, our feedback comes from obvious MTA fan, Tickets, Tickets Please writes, smart people and much needed. This is how you talk about healthcare, finally a way to understand things better. And again, that review is from Tickets, Tickets Please. Thanks for your review. And we invite all of our listeners to go to Apple Podcasts and leave an honest five-star rating and a positive review. And don't forget, wherever you're listening, click that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Terrific. Let's get into this episode then. So, Robert, today we're going to be chatting about something that is quite topical. Let's talk about the Build Back Better plan. It's been kind of up against the ropes since its inception with a multi-trillion dollar original price tag. It has a ton that could truly help people, everyday folks. Why don't you tell us, what are the good things about this bill that can help patients?
1: Well, it does three things. Two of them specifically for patients and another one, which is a positive sign for the entire industry. Number one, It caps out-of-pocket costs for Medicare Part D patients at $2,000 per year. And this is important because, Connor, as we've discussed in the past episodes, Medicare Part D is the only insurance entity probably throughout the country that doesn't have a cap for out-of-pocket costs for patients. You and I have private insurance, and we all have caps for our out-of-pocket costs for both our healthcare services and our biopharmaceuticals. And Medicare Part D is an anomaly, and this is going to be fixed through this legislation. The second thing it does that also is going to help patients, specifically patients who have diabetes and are insulin dependent, is going to allow to have a cap on insulin out-of-pocket costs. Now, there's some discussion about whether the cap number is really a good number or bad, but there is a cap now, so patients are not going to be overly exposed to out-of-pocket costs as they have been in the past. And finally, does the third thing, which is good for the system, it starts introduction of some type of reporting transparency that the pharmacy benefit managers and the insurers have to provide how much dollars they sort of like recoup from the industry in form of rebates and concessions and fees and everything else, which is going to create a little bit less opaqueness of the system as currently we have it and create a little bit more transparency, which is sorely needed in this marketplace.
0: But an everyday patient, how would this bill's passage affect their everyday? What would that look like?
1: Well, that's going to be the challenge here, Connor. I think if you are a Medicare Part D recipient, now you have some certainty that you're not going to exceed a certain dollar amount per year for out-of-pocket costs for your biopharmaceuticals. If you're an insulin dependent diabetic, uh, now you have a mechanism that there's going to be some caps placed on your out-of-pocket costs for your insulin, which, as you well know, they need that medicine to stay alive. But unfortunately, what it doesn't do, it doesn't provide immediate relief for patients who show up to the pharmacy after the legislation has passed in form of lowering their out-of-pocket costs. And that's the one thing that I think most patients will tell you is the one that bothers them the most. The patients really care about what they pay out of their pocket when they show up to the pharmacy counter. And this legislation does not address that. And that's the key here, because unless we are able to address that issue, a lot of the other components of the legislation really fall apart. For example, if you look at Kaiser Healthcare Foundation, they've done surveys over the years of asking patients what they believe about government intervening in drug pricing in form of negotiation. And overwhelmingly, it has bipartisan support. When you ask consumers who do the polls, they tell Kaiser Healthcare Foundation that yes, in fact, they do want government intervention in drug price negotiation as a way of intervening. And it's a bipartisan support, by the way. Unfortunately, what Kaiser Healthcare Foundation and a lot of the other outlets don't cover is the second, third, and fourth question that is commonly asked in the same survey. Because what the consumers that take the survey point out to overwhelmingly is that the only reason the government should intervene in any type of drug pricing negotiation or any kind of drug pricing management is if it helps the patients immediately when they show up to the pharmacy counter. That means don't do anything unless you're going to help me as a patient when tomorrow I go to Joe's pharmacy and have to pick up my prescription. The second thing that the consumers tell us clearly is that don't mess around with the research and development model as it exists. As consumers, they still want to have new medicines come into the market, and they don't want any kind of impediment that's going to discourage investment in that portion. And finally, what they tell us also is that if you're going to intervene, you better make sure that my access to the current medicines I'm taking is not going to be curtailed. That means there's not going to be situations where formularies or pharmacy benefit managers and insurers are going to start restricting access to the drugs that I am on currently. So yes, this bill does some good things. It doesn't go far enough to help patients when they show up the next day at the pharmacy counter. That's the one thing that they patients really want is savings out of their pocket immediately after the passage of this legislation. But this legislation is not going to do that for them.
0: We must have been reading the same article because I was seeing some of those same points where it's somewhere around 70, 70 percent of Americans think the government ought to do more in intervention of healthcare plans. And following up to your point of folks wanting to see the immediate changes to their skyrocketing costs of medications, 44 percent of patients report skipping filling prescriptions because of their high costs. And we know better than most that when folks aren't adhering to their medications, it can have severe consequences to their short-term and long-term health. So you started to dig into the parts that don't go far enough. And we started to talk a little bit about transparency. I'm wondering, does this bill address better data keeping that can help with the transparency? Not necessarily. I mean, it introduces this concept,
1: but I would venture to argue that states have better transparency bills or legislation that has been intact for a few years. And in fact, the federal government should be following those states, including the state of California, which has published data for the last three years from pharmacy benefit management companies and insurers with regards to what is the impact of spending on drugs, on premiums, and specifically, what is the impact of rebates and everything else on premiums. So I said it's starting, but it's unfinished. I want to say one more thing. Out-of-pocket cost is a major issue for consumers. Everyday patients, to any fault of their own, are not able to afford their medicines. And it does cause some complications down the road if they're not taking their medicines because of this outrageous out-of-pocket cost that they have to pay. So that should be priority number one for anyone, whether it's a policymaker, a healthcare professional or an insurer, or a pharmacy benefit manager, or a patient group to address. Because unless we address that, everything else falls apart.
0: And Robert, you mentioned something earlier that I think I want to dive into a little bit more, which was... The potential of this impacting innovation in the marketplace and this kind of boogeyman that that we hear about, is this something that holds water or is this something that we should be worried about and taking into account when considering this bill? Connor, I think it's a given
1: that if legislation as constructed currently passes, that it is going to impact research and development and introduction of new therapies into marketplace. The data is very much solid. And it comes from the Congressional Budget Office. It comes from research done by congressional staff. It comes from private sector research has been done that, in fact, this legislation, as is constructed, will impact research and development. So we are going to have fewer medicines come into the market in the next decade or two decades. The argument boils down to what is the real impact? That means, are we talking about 10 drugs? Are we talking about 20 drugs? Or are we talking about 30 drugs over 12 months, 36 months, so on and so forth? Without a doubt, this bill is going to have a negative impact as investment is going to go down from a pharmaceutical industry with regards to new research and development and uh, new products coming to the market. The only argument here or the only discussion or disagreement is what is the real impact? What we've seen from both congressional staff, congressional budget office, CBO, as well as the private sector, that the range is between 10 new introductions of new therapies all the way to 30 to 60 over the next couple of decades. What does this mean to patients? Well, it depends because as revenue shrinks and ability to invest new therapies goes down, the pharma companies by pharmaceutical companies are going to be hindered to invest in areas of unknown impact. What does that mean is that they're going to invest less in areas that there's more uncertainty whether or not they're going to have successful medicines coming out in the marketplace So you will see a lot more investment in areas of oncology, perhaps, and therapeutics that are known versus maybe investment in neurology or Alzheimer's, areas that have been fraught with failures of new medicines coming out. So that's another thing that consumers, patients should take into consideration because the data is very clear and it's not data coming from one entity. It's coming from multiple entities that really have no way of biasing the information. The only matter of question is not the impact of R&D, but what is the level of impact?
0: Well, thanks for parsing through that with me, Robert. I'm really excited to dig into part two of this episode, which you can catch next week, which will be answering the questions, what should be done about this? And before we get to that episode, I want to make sure you get the last word in here, Robert. What do you think? Connor, we need to help patients with their out-of-pocket
1: costs. That's why they want government to intervene and sort of get involved in the drug pricing discussion. The problem is that this legislation solves some of the issues, but also leaves a lot of unknowns and also doesn't solve the major problem for consumers, which is when I show up to the next day at again, Joe's pharmacy, am I gonna pay less out of my pocket for my drugs? And that is not gonna be the case. And consumers are gonna become frustrated as they're gonna realize they're not saving any money out of pocket. There's definitely impact on research and development that's going to happen. It's just a matter of what the number is, not whether or not it's going to impact research and development. But more importantly, the other thing that it doesn't do, which we alluded to, it does create some transparency, but doesn't go all the way. I would have hoped that the government, as the largest payer, would have instituted within this legislation, laws and regulations that mandates that PBMs and insurers open up their books completely and provide audit rights to the federal government because federal government, at the end of the day, is the largest purchaser of biopharmaceuticals in the United States. So it's a glass half full, but we need to do better. And we need to do better because patients are being harmed and that's what we care about and we need to take care of our patients. We hope you learned something too. We'd love to hear from you about the Build Back Better legislative plan and the impact on biopharmaceuticals, access for patients, and out-of-pocket costs. Send your emails to healthcarematters at ghlf.org, or better yet, include a short video or audio clip.
0: And who knows, whatever you share may be included in our listener feedback portion of future episodes. Thanks for listening to Healthcare Matters a podcast that pulls back the curtain to help you make sense of complex healthcare economics and policy issues. And if you like this episode, please go to Apple podcasts and leave an honest five-star rating and a positive review. Wherever you're listening, don't forget to click the subscribe button so you never miss an episode as always. He's Dr. Robert Popovian.
1: And he's Connor Mertens, the number one patient advocate in this country. See you all next
0: time. Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation podcast network.